0: Thank you so much, Curdy. Take your Bible with me now, please. Turn to the book of James chapter 3 with me. James chapter 3, I want to tonight briefly speak about what I consider to be an occupational hazard of being a pastor, being a public speaker, someone who has to get up in front of an audience and talk a lot. Now, it's an occupational hazard. We're going to see in a moment what the hazard is in James chapter 3. Some of you already guessed it, but it does not just apply. The message tonight does not just apply to a man who's a pastor who has to do a lot of talking. It applies really to all of us to be careful about the way we communicate and what we communicate to each other. I want to make a statement. I've been pastor of our church for 25 years. I've never seen a group of people, as large a group as we have, we had almost 700 this morning, as large a group as we have, uh, do better in regard to this matter of not talking out of turn or not telling tales out of school. Now that we're not perfect, and we'll see in a moment that that's absolutely true, we're not perfect at it, but I really am thankful for a church where we're very careful about the things that we say, because the Bible teaches this, life and death is in the power of the tongue. The things that I say to a person can either encourage them and give them life and give them strength, or I can condemn them and beat them down with my words in such a way that they may never rise again. There is great power in the things that we say. By way of introduction, I would say especially parents, mom and dad, be very careful about the things you say to your children or the things that you speak over their heads. When I mean speak over their heads, you say something about them, maybe to your spouse within their earshot. Be very, very careful about that, because those things can stick, and if it is negative words, they can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. There is power in the words that we speak. The words that we speak can either give someone life or they can damage someone in ways that are deep and long-standing, sometimes things that will affect an individual throughout their life. So we want to be careful about communication. Now, in James chapter 3, he's going to speak specifically about the tongue, the things that we say. But today, communication goes beyond our spoken word to written word. Things like text messages and and social media interaction, (coughs) things such as letters. All of those things, all emails, all of those things have application directly to the passage we're looking at. And we want to be careful about our communication as Christians because the tendency of the culture kind of rubs off on us. Pastor, what's the tendency? There are many of them, but let me give you a couple. Number one, rage. Rage. We live in an age of rage where outlandish anger and inappropriate speech is increasingly acceptable. In other words, if we don't like something, we just blow up about it. That should never, ever be a Christian response. Well, Pastor Money, you know, if you're going to be hurt in this day and time, you just got to yell at people. I don't believe that at all. I believe for Christians to present ourselves in a Christ-like manner, even in our speech, is very important. So our culture uh, is something that rages. But then our culture also is this. While any inappropriate topic is free for discussion, and inappropriate topics, you name them in your mind. I'm not going to name them tonight. While any inappropriate topic is free for discussion, in our society, certain things are off limits and it's ridiculous. If you bring up Christ and the Bible, oh, 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 Pastor, this is a religion-free workplace. Well, my actually, my staff doesn't ever say that to me. They don't. They don't. It's not something my staff says. But but you you bring up Christ and the Bible or church, and all of a sudden people act like you're breaking the law. Listen to me, you're not breaking the law. You have freedom of speech, and your religious expression is a protected freedom of speech. Understand that right out of the right out of the gate, and then. You have crazy talk. Pastor Monty, what is crazy talk? You wanna know what crazy talk is? Crazy talk is liberals praising Hamas and getting angry if you use the wrong pronoun. That's crazy. The same liberals that are praising Hamas get all bent out of shape if you don't use their preferred pronoun. By the way, what pronoun should you use? The pronoun of their biological gender. If a hymn tells you to call her, him a her, don't do it. I'd never do it. I'd never do it. Well, you the best mind, I'll get in trouble. I wouldn't do it. I don't play that game. That's a game I'm not going to play, nor should any Christian, because it's confusion. And as we talked about this morning, that kind of thing plays right into the hand of the devil. And so our communication can be something that puts people at risk if we're not careful about communication. But for me, it is an occupational hazard. Look, if you will, at James chapter 3. I'm going to walk us through the passage and then give some practical points. Right out of the starting gate, James chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible says this, My brethren, be not many masters. In other words, masters there has to do with spiritual leadership, those with the speaking gift. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. What does that mean? That we are held to a higher standard of speech, and that because of the volume of our words, we are more accountable than others. And James actually warns, he says, for pastors or those in the speaking profession, He says, you need to be very careful about this matter of how you carry yourself in public speech because you'll receive the greater judgment. Why greater judgment? Simply because of the volume of the words and we're held to a little bit higher standard. And so he warns about that. And then he says this, and this is part of the occupational hazard of verse number one and verse number two. He says, for in many things we offend all. Now, Now pause there for a moment. My speech has the distinct possibility in many things offending everybody. And all God's people said? Okay, but so does yours. So does yours. The whole principle of the the, the Bible is this. I stand at risk, and I, I take great pains to not be misunderstood. I do have a sense of humor. My sense of humor, and some of you are smiling, are smiling right now, my sense of humor gets me into trouble with people who don't have a sense of humor. Have you ever noticed liberals don't have a sense of humor? They just don't, they can't laugh at themselves, they can't laugh at anything, they don't have a sense of, oh, I got, I got hurt, and I, got, I, I can't deal with that, okay? You won't be around me for five minutes without getting hurt, but I don't do that intentionally. I was preaching somewhere one time and someone came up to me in a huff. Can you imagine this? I can't even begin to imagine this. Come up to me and huff. Pastor Monty, you are just filled with microaggressions. I didn't even know what that meant. But when I found out what it meant, I thought, "Uh uh-oh. I didn't do a very good job. I want some macro aggressions. I, I failed in regard to that whole matter. But uh, there is a risk of offending others. and I don't want to ever purposely offend anyone. That's never my uh, job. By the way, if, you, if I say something and you take a personal offense to it, the best thing to do is come directly and talk to me about it. Maybe I misspoke Maybe you misheard, by the way, that's a possibility, or maybe between the two of us there was a misunderstanding because communication is always a two-way street. It is the responsibility of the communicator to communicate in such a way that everyone can understand and to communicate in such a way that no one could possibly misunderstand. That is a very high standard, and sometimes I miss the mark on that. But if you feel offended by something, I would encourage you, just come and talk to me, okay? I can clarify it, I can, I can talk to you about it, whatever it may be, uh, but that is a possibility. In many things we offend all, and, and notice what it, in verse number two, it's simply going to happen, okay? For in many things we offend all, if any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man. I don't know any of those, do you? and able also to bridle or to control the whole body. So I'm open to offending others, as are you with your speech. But then here's where it gets dangerous. Speech can be very destructive. Not only do we risk offense by our speech, but we risk destruction. Now look at verse number 3. The Bible says, Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth. So it's a little piece of metal that's put in a horse's mouth to guide it. The bit has a bridle on it, and you pull back and forth. And I'm not a horseman, but I've done it a couple times. You know, uh, when years ago when I was younger, every once in a while, I'd like to ride a horse. How many of you are occasional horse riders? Anyone in the room? Yeah, I'd, I'd ride occasionally, right? I mean, just once in a blue moon, once in a blue moon. And I'd always go to this farm where they had the horses. And, I'd, and when I was a teenager, and I was a big teenager, I was a big teenager, and I'd be standing in the group of other teenagers who were all smaller than I, and they'd be getting all these horses lined up. And they'd pick a kid, and they'd give this kid this really beautiful brown horse. And then they'd pick another kid, and they'd give this kid this really pretty speckled horse. And then some kid got this beautiful white horse. And all these beautiful, sleek horses. And then, and then by the end, they'd come to me. And they'd look at me. And then they look at these horses, and then they look at me, and they try to figure out: Do we have a horse big enough? And I heard a worker say one time to another worker, "Go get the Clydesdale," and that's embarrassing. (laughs) We put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. James said, "So that small little bit." Now here's here's where the illustration's going. Here, the small little bit in the mouth can have a tremendous effect in determining the direction of the horse and directing the horse. Here's another example, verse four. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, they're huge, a huge ship on the water. They're driven with fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor or the captain listeth wherever he desires. So if you've ever seen a, a, a ship, a ship can be very huge. But that mechanism that turns the ship by comparison to the size of the ship is something very small. I remember years ago I was down, this is many years ago, I was down in, in Pensacola at Pensacola Christian College. They have a little section of beach where they have catamaran sailboats. I was with Pastor James Johnson, and, and he wanted to try a catamaran. I said, I said, do you know what you're doing? He said, nah. He said, I don't know, but he said, it can't be that hard. And it's a little sailboat, and it has, a, it has two little rudders on the back, and it has a steering mechanism, and so uh, we, without anyone's permission, I hope no one from the The college is listening right now without anyone's permission. We we took the boat and pushed it out in the water. And it was one of those ones that just has canvas, like some kind of canvas. It doesn't have seats or anything. You kind of hold on to this canvas platform and we pushed it out a little bit in the bay. I'll tell you what, that wind caught that sail. And it filled that sail. And that thing got going. And we're going very quickly across the bay. And I thought, wow, this is really fun. And if you're not careful, you'll tip it over. But I thought, this is very fun. It had a steering mechanism. While we were out there, it had two little rudders. While we were out there, one of them broke. Now, it was windy. So now we're down to just one. Meaning that we couldn't turn quickly. It would make a very wide arc. And at this point, the wind is blowing so hard. And we're moving so fast. You say, Pastor Bonnie, how fast were you going? I would estimate 150 miles an hour, but it probably wasn't. That's just my estimation. And, uh, and, but we were going right, to, we're in the bay, but we're heading out toward the Gulf of Mexico. And we couldn't steer it, just very little. It would have to arc very, we couldn't steer it very well. And to make matters worse, there were other catamarans out there who assumed that we would avoid them. James was struggling with the steering mechanism, part of which was broken. And I was yelling at the top of my lungs, Get out of our way! We can't steer this thing! It was really embarrassing. Why? Because one little piece on the back had broken. Now, look back at your Bible. The ships, which though they be so great are driven with fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm. The difference was that tiny little rudder on the back, that controlled the ship. So the bit controls the direction of the horse. The rudder or the helm controls the direction of the ship. A very small thing making a big difference for better or for worse. Look at verse number five. Even so, The tongue is a little member. When the Bible uses the word member, speaking of a part of the body, that's what it means, a part of the body. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. And then it says, behold, how great a matter, a little fire kindleth. Now, the bit is small. The rudder is small by comparison to the ship. And then he says, the tongue is small in comparison to one's whole body, but he says, how great a fire a little matter kindleth. Can I ask you all a question? Do you all burn leaves? How many burn leaves? There's just something about burning leaves. I love burning leaves. We have tons of leaves at our house because I was gone on a church trip uh, we had lots of leaves on the ground so for a couple of days this week. I was working on the leaves Yesterday I decided that the most effective thing to do would be to burn Leaves because burning leaves smells good and it's easier than raking and so I got some long matches I had this area that had several a couple dead Ash trees that i had had topped really tall one of them over 30 feet tall And I had there was a bunch of leaves in this area and it was kind of like a garden but not enough of a garden to worry about. And I thought, you know, rather than rake that or leaf blow that, it would be easier if I just set that whole thing on fire. And so that's what I did. I just took some matches and lit fires around, and all of a sudden that thing was, was burning beautifully. And it was, it was burning, you know, all the leaf part, the leaf part, the, other, the grass was left fine. But then I noticed something. This big old ash tree caught on fire. It did, 30 feet tall ash tree caught on fire. He said, Pastor, what did you do? It was so interesting to me, I just decided to watch. So I took out a lawn chair and just watched. It was hollow on the inside, so that created like a, a, a draw for the air. And so the fire was turning into a torch on the inside of the tree, and smoke was coming out. This was the neatest thing, folks. It was super cool. And I just sat there and watched. And it burned, and then the bark started burning on the outside. And it was like a torch. And one of my neighbors noticed, and I assured them this is a controlled fire. Although... (laughs) although I didn't know what I would do if it got out of control. As long as up on the tree, it was a controlled fire, and it, it, was, it was burning, and I enjoyed watching it, and then all of a sudden, it just collapsed. The whole thing collapsed, and you say, what happened then? It continued burning. It is burning right now, even as we speak, the length of this thing. It's just burning. You say, Pastor, did you leave the fire unattended? Yeah, I did, but it'll be fine. It'll be fine. I've got good house insurance, right, Steve? Homeowner's insurance is fine, okay? You're not committing to anything, Steve. You're not committing. Steve's my agent, okay? We'll just not talk about this. Strike it from the record. <laughs> All it took to bring down a 30-foot tree was one match. And what do you think about that? Now, the fire effectively got rid of the leaves, so it did something good, But the fire also could be very destructive, and all it takes is one match. That's warning about the destructive, though small nature of the tongue. It warns about the destructive nature. And then verse number 7, it gets worse. Because not only is the tongue destructive, but it is untamable. It is not completely controllable. Look at verse number 7. For every kind of beast and birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. He's making reference to the domestication of wild animals. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil. It is full of deadly poison. Now look this way. Not one of us in this room has completely mastered the art of communication in such a way as to always be scriptural. Not one of us, not one of us. However, let me say this, every one of us should be striving for that. So when you read James chapter three, you're not reading some kind of an excuse. Ah, Pastor Bonnie, you know the tongue can no man tame, so I'm just gonna say everything I'm thinking. That's horribly destructive. It should be our goal to bring under control increasingly our communication. And so we're warned that it is very difficult, frankly, untamable. but should be our goal to bring it into tameness. It is untamable, But then it is also horribly inconsistent. And I think this is where many of us struggle as Christians. You see, we know what's appropriate to say. We know it's not appropriate to say most of the time. But verse 8 says, the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. And then he describes the tongue. He says, "There we, therewith, with the tongue, therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse me we men, which are made after the similitude of God. You know, it's one thing to sing praises to God in church. It's another thing to say nice things about people who irritate us. See, here's the inconsistency, and that's the danger of the time. Well, Pastor, you know, when we're praising God, God is perfect, but my neighbor, he's got a long way to go. He's kind of a rotten fellow. Hear me. The Bible says he's made in the image of God. I gave a message Wednesday night about the issue of respect. The King James Bible uses the word honor, which even goes beyond mere respect. I gave a message Wednesday night about respect and said that one of the reasons that every human being deserves at least a modicum of respect is that every human being is made in the image of God. That we believe that all human life is sacred Because it is made in the image of God, though that image is greatly marred, we are imagers who carry the mark of God, the seal of his ownership and creation upon us. And because of that, every human being deserves at least a modicum of respect. Now, some people deserve more respect than others. Talked about that Wednesday night. The Bible is clear. You earn respect. But I never have the right to disrespect another human being because they're made in the image of God. James puts it this way, I do not curse another individual with my mouth because they are made in the image of God. And it is hypocrisy for me to, on the one hand, praise God, and on the other hand, curse men. Now, when you notice that inconsistency, I don't have to give a lot of examples for all of us, including myself, to say, wow, I've really violated that from time to time. James chapter three, verse 10, he says this, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. In other words, it's inappropriate to praise God and then to curse men. And yet this is consistently something that we will find ourselves doing, sometimes acting in a rude manner towards someone. Um, The tongue... Then is inconsistent. Oftentimes our speech, our negative speech, is fueled by a sense of heart envy. Look, if you will, at verse number 14. Drop down to verse 14. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. Why do we sometimes criticize or rip people apart? Could it not be because of envy over something? or bitterness and resentment over something. Oftentimes the words that come out of our mouths are fueled by something that is in our heart. But verse 15, James says, This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. So, Pastor, what is the recipe, the guide, if you will, proper speech. That comes in the next verse. The wisdom of the world says blow up on people. When you're angry, just express it. Criticize and condemn. But verse 17, and I'm going to cover a few points here, but the wisdom that is from above, from God, is first pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. What, what is that talking about? That is a guideline for my speech. My communication, number one, should be pure. Should be pure. In an impure world, I need to be careful about the things that I say. That my speech would not be tainted with a purient nature. Meaning something that is unclean or unholy. It should be peace-promoting, pure and peaceable. When someone's in a conflict, rather than taking sides, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. My speech should be gentle. Now listen carefully, listen carefully. My approach to an individual should always be gentle until it cannot be. Did you hear what I just said? There are some people that become violent. Violent begets violence, and you have to respond with equal force. We're all about that here. We believe in self-defense. But in the normal average way of living, I do not have to approach people in a gruff and unkind way. I do not have to come across as being uh, mean or upset. I'm to be gentle. I don't have to be overly rough with people. I'm to be approachable. When the Bible uses the words easy to be entreated, it means that because of my bearing, I'm an approachable person. You can come and talk to me. You're not intimidated to come talk to the preacher. I work overtime to let this church know I'm just a human being with with feet of clay, that I'm not a perfect person, that I want you to feel free to always approach me and to approach uh, directly. I want my speech to be merciful and combine the concept of mercy and grace with other people. That should be something that characterizes my speech, not judgment, but rather mercy. I want my speech to be impartial. If you look at what it says, without partiality. That means I'm not favoring someone because I'm transparent. I'm simply impartial. Well, Pastor Monty, I, I think you need to be on my side of this, or I think you need to be on his side of this. I think I need to be impartial as much as possible in my speech. I know people get into tiffs sometime with each other. By the way, do you notice this? you all notice this? I'm wearing a, a white shirt and a tie, I'm not wearing a referee's shirt, I don't have a whistle, okay, do not make me, because I'll not do it, I don't play that game, okay, do not, you know, I've, I've got that phrase in my head lately, I'm, I don't play that game, I'm not playing that game, do you all know where that phrase came from? My dear wife, Kelly, can I tell this story? You, did you say No, That was very rebellious. (laughs) May I tell this story? I know I can tell this story. She doesn't care. We were in Greece when we traveled with the church to Greece. And um, when you get on the tour bus... You know, you'd think the tour guide would have something really important to tell you, and they make a very serious announcement. And they say this, we need to let you understand, you Americans, ladies and gentlemen, that the infrastructure of Greece is very ancient. And the plumbing systems are very ancient. And therefore, in Greece, you are not allowed, no matter what, on any occasion whatsoever, to flush toilet paper. You're not allowed. You're not allowed. You say, Pastor Monty, what in the world do you do? They have these little trash cans. Can I tell you, their restrooms stink. Okay, it stinks. It stinks to high heaven. And, 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 and you say, well, pa- Pastor Monty, the, their infrastructure is... I, I, you know what? They've had 3,000 years of civilization to get it right. Okay, I, I don't understand. These are people who built the Parthenon, a building that has stood for 25 centuries since 500 B.C. It has not even collapsed. They built the Parthenon, put in a pipe and some plumbing. Anyway, the first night, we'd been up for many, many hours of travel, and I know you won't believe this at all, but Kelly was a bit cranky. She was a little cranky. And uh, we got into the hotel and we were, you know, you know, she had used the restroom and then the bathroom, and then I went to use the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> I checked the little trash can. Apparently, she had flushed. I went out there like a toilet paper Nazi. And I said to Kelly, rather condescendingly, I said, Kelly, I said, you're not supposed to flush the toilet paper. And she looked at me and she said, I am not playing that game. (laughs) One of many games Kelly has decided not to play, amen? How in the world did I get on this with this sermon? I think I still have a touch of the jet lag, but... (laughs) Let's just move on. What is my <laughs> someone said? Amen. <laughs> what is what is my speech to be? Okay, there are dangers to the tongue, and then the tongue is to be controlled by the heavenly wisdom. But how, what is my speech to look like? Here's what I want to throw out to you: just some ideas tonight, some things that'll help us to guard our speech. Number one, ask yourself before you say anything about anyone. Is it my business? Is it my business? Not very often, but every once in a while, someone inquires to me about something that, that they're curious about in the life of somebody else. This happened over a month and a half ago, something like that. And you know, to be honest with you, our curiosity sometimes damages a person's reputation. Someone asked me about, not a person in our church or anything, but someone asked me about a particular person and asked me some questions about it. You oh, know, I don't know the answer, by the way, but do you know what I do know? It doesn't matter for me to know the answer. The older I get, the more I feel like it's better for me not to know some things. How many had a mama that taught you the words, ignorance is bliss? My mama sure did. The older I get, the more I think that's true. But before I speak, I should ask myself, is this really my business? Is it my business? Am I part of the problem, or am I part of the solution? And if neither one of those things is true, it is very likely that I should just keep my mouth shut. Here's another question to ask yourself. Is what I'm saying fact or speculation? Well, Pastor Monty, I heard a rumor that blah, 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 blah. You know, some people come up to me and say stuff like, well, the rumor, or they'll use this word, the word on the street is they're completely wrong. Do I know for sure? Am I conveying something that is true? And by the way, even if I'm conveying something that is true, is it absolutely necessary for me to convey that? Many times it's not. A third question to ask yourself, is it kind? Is it kind? So a lot of times we talk just to find out, to satisfy our own curiosity or to share something with someone else, but is it kind? By the way, if you were facing what that individual is facing, would you want people talking about you? Just a serious question to ask. See, now, I don't think we have a problem with this in our church, but I think it's really important to review this once in a while, is what I'm saying kind, okay? Um, here's a good question Am I following Matthew 18? Now, I want you to see this. I think this is good review. Matthew 18. This is very practical. Matthew 18, verse 15. I want every eye on this. Matthew 18, verse number 15, okay? Every eye on this. This is very specific instruction of Jesus regarding brethren that get offended with each other. Look at verse number 15, Matthew 18. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him. What's the next word? Alone. I want everyone to look this way. The instruction is very specific. Go to him. Now let me pause. It does not say, write a letter. I hope everyone heard what I just said. By the way, it does not say, write an anonymous letter. I want every eye on me. Do not play that game with me or any member of my staff. Did you hear what I just said? I hope you heard that. I have zero respect for anonymous letters. I'm just making a statement here. I have to publicly own everything I say. I do. You should have the character to do, well, Pastor Monty, so-and-so really bothered me, so I just wrote him an anonymous letter. There's not one verse in the Scripture that allows for that being right, good, or spiritual. If you're offended with someone, you approach them directly. It doesn't even say write a letter. It's kind of the courage of the keyboard. That's ridiculous. You go to someone directly. That's precisely what the Bible says. If thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If, she, if she, uh, he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, okay, so the, the, you go and you try and he doesn't respond, Take with thee one or two more that at the mouth of two or three witnesses every word shall be established. It's then you would invite someone else. If there's a serious conflict, if there's a serious conflict, you invite someone else. If it's a really big uh, conflict, the next step is to bring it to the church. Now, that typically means bring it to the pastor and let the pastor help with that, but only after you have done the first two steps. Do you know why that is? 99% of the time, If we get upset with something, we can approach that person and straighten it out. And a high percentage of the time, that is something that is, quite frankly, a misunderstanding. Often, it is a misunderstanding. So I want to be careful to follow Matthew chapter 18 because that's the Bible's plan for working things out. We work something out with, with privacy. If that doesn't work, with plurality. And then later on, if necessary, with a pastor or publicly through the church. That's the plan of Matthew 18. Another question I should ask myself is this. Is it gossip? Is it gossip? So is, uh, is the communication just something that I'm, I'm saying to convey or to seek information that is pointless to me? and really is nothing more than entertainment. I- I'm just talking here, folks. That's a lot of the times we talk. Well, hey, Pastor Mike, did you hear about the problem so-and-so is having, or so-and-so is having, or kind of someone comes up to me and says, what do you know about so-and-so? Not anything I'm willing to say. Learned a long time ago that discretion is the better part of wisdom. Silence is the better part of wisdom. I don't like it when people approach me and try to get information out of the pastor. That just irritates me no end. I'm not saying we have a problem with this. I'm just saying I don't like it. The question you could ask yourself is this. Is my speech gracious? Does it give someone the benefit of the doubt? Especially when we don't know. We're too quick to believe the worst about everything, aren't we? Here's a good one that I kind of hit Wednesday night a little bit. Does it pass the golden rule test? What's a golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's the golden rule. Does it pass that test? If I were in that person's situation, would would I want this talk to be going on? Does it pass that test? Here's a good question. Have you prayed about it? So a month and a half, a little something like that ago when someone brought something to my attention, my immediate response was to pray for a situation. I'm not involved in it. The church is not involved in it. It's nothing happening here. But my immediate response was to pray and to pray every single day for that situation. And I didn't talk it up. I didn't try to find out more. Just pray. It's better to talk to God than it is to talk to man in many things. And I I just ask sometimes, are we praying about things? We need to be. We need to be. And then a question I could always ask myself is this. Will my talking about it Make it better or worse. In other words, can I be a help in the thing that I'm saying, or am I just saying stuff to say it, or because it's interesting, or because it's it's information, or it's something that I want to share? I feel a sense of uh, superiority because I'm sharing something, or I feel uh, a sense of curiosity because I'm learning something. Will my talking about it make it better or worse? Now, these are all questions that we should ask ourselves before we share some information about someone or before we gossip about someone or before we speculate about someone. These are all kinds of questions. And sometimes, folks, it's just better not to know. I said a moment ago, silence is the better part of wisdom. And it's good to inquire about something only if you have a compelling need to know. You hear what I just said? Inquiry is better only if you have a compelling need to know. Well, Pastor Monty, something's just under my skin. Listen, listen. What do you do? You go directly to that person privately. And you work it out. That's how you approach these things. the, 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 The whole idea of, you know, anonymous communication. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. It's not a good thing. But what is a good thing is when you say, hey, you're my brother, I love you. This is a concern that I have. And by the way, why go to that person? Because there's something about direct. I'm not even talking about the phone right now. There's something about direct human interaction that typically softens the approach and causes us to humanize a situation so that we can work through it. Now what are we saying tonight? The tongue, the tongue is very powerful. Communication is very powerful. It can be used for great good or for great ill. And scripture says, none of us is ever gonna be perfect about this. None of us ever gonna be perfect. But scripture says, I am responsible, fully responsible for doing my best to be careful. Here's a good thing. You ever been about to say something this ever happen to you? You're about to say something, and all of a sudden, right in here, you get that feeling, quote-unquote, feeling that you probably should not say anything. Anyone ever have that happen? Ha, I have. I have like 5,000 times today. I have. Do you know, I, you know who I believe that is? I believe that's the Holy Spirit yeah. prompting me, uh, uh, you know, just, just don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. You know what's happened? Every time, every time, I've disobeyed that voice. It has not been a good thing. Every single time. So being cautious about what we say. Why, why, why Pastor Monty? Because God wants us to manifest the peace, the, the, the wisdom that is from above. Pure, peaceable, gentle, easily entreated, merciful, fruitful, impartial, and transparent. When we do that, we gather together as a family who loves each other and works together with one another. We have issues because we're human beings, right? But we settle them the Bible way, and then we move on to the glory of God, and that is the ultimate goal. So let's be careful about what we say to each other, about one another, how we approach someone. Be careful about all that, and just say to the glory of God, I always want to be a blessing, and I never, I never Want to be a curse. Father, thank you for the clarity of Scripture tonight that helps us and guides us, Lord, in an area where every one of us has weakness and fault and frailty, and it is a repeated thing. Uh, Father, I pray that you'll help us in our communication to be biblical. Lord, we claim to be Christians. We ought to act like it, and we ought to follow the guidance that is given in the pages of the Bible make us more like Christ for having heard the admonition of James the Apostle. I pray you'll make us more like our Savior. Father, bless, I pray, in the invitation time. And Lord, as we go from this place, help us to remember these thoughts. In Jesus' name, stand with me,